Life sends us forward with something that is unresolved from the past. Can you be the parent that your kids need you to be? Every day, I know that I try to be the best version of me, and I'm sure that most all of you do the same. But when you're envisioning the best version of you, and you include the best mother you can be, how have you even determined what that is? We're all just plugging along day after day, trying to figure this parenting thing out. And typically, once we figure it out, our kids grow and change, and we need to figure it out all over again. We make mistakes along the way. Some are bigger than others, of course, but overall, we truly are doing our best. But when we consider how we should behave or how to respond to a situation, we're often putting a lot of consideration into what our own parents did or didn't do. We make a lot of parenting decisions based on the type of parent that our own parents would want us to be, or maybe more so the type of parent they taught us to be for better or for worse, whether it's doing something because they did it or not doing something because they did it or doing something because they didn't do it. And you know what? Our parents, well, they did the same and so did their parents. Life often sends us forward with something that is unresolved from the past. I'm not sure who said it or where I saw it, but so many of us need healing from the ancestral wounds that were passed along, completely unknowingly and unintentionally, from one generation to the next. Instead of being the parent that your parents taught you to be, or how their parents taught them to be, or theirs before, What type of parent do your teens need you to be? What are they needing you to give them today? And can you give it to them? Even if it was something that wasn't given to you. Can you leave those unresolved wounds in the past and move forward being the parent that your kids need you to be today? Hey guys, it's Jen. This is another episode of Reframing Me. So I feel like a total slacker. And I know if there is one thing that I always give myself credit for, it is that I'm absolutely not a slacker. But I have gotten behind on getting a show out to you. And y'all know that I'm never behind more than like a day. And I am super embarrassed to even count how many days behind I am. Y'all, it has been a journey So I told you that I've been doing a kitchen remodel. Now I have an actual carpenter who did the work as well as actual painters who did the work. It wasn't like it was me down there with my little hammer and such. And still, y'all, I'm exhausted. It has been all consuming, cleaning out cabinets and drawers and the pantry and picking things out and managing issues and having the pantry and drawers spread out all over the dining room. And even now it has expanded into the living room and the mud room. Like it's crazy. I mean, even now they finished up yesterday, but I still need to wait till today to put things back in, they said. So I'm still climbing over things. And my graduate class, it the session ended. So I had to get their grades in and wrap that up. But don't fear, there is no rest for the weary because my new graduate session began now on Monday, which meant prep and back to week one. Oh yeah, plus everything else, like my daughter's birthday has been in here, and even this morning. Okay, so since I have sat down to record, my husband has called me with two different work things that he needed my help with. There is just so much going on, but it's not an excuse because I don't like to make excuses, but I do feel like I owe you an explanation for my delay. Trust me, it's not because I didn't want to talk to you. It's just because things came up. 
You know, to be honest, I wasn't even 100% sure what we were going to talk about this week. I mean, yeah, I could totally do a whole episode or five on kitchen remodel hell, but I figured that you probably had zero interest in hearing that. And then this week, I woke up one day, I went downstairs, and I saw a few random pairs of shoes that were nicely placed at the front door, but that I didn't recognize. I was like, who is that? I felt like Prince Charming, like trying to play the whole who do these shoes belong to game. I didn't even realize that there were boys sleeping over on the third floor. Uh, There were. Now, these were different boys than walked into the front door at 7.30 a.m. yesterday morning in my chaos of a house when I was in pajamas, still packing lunch, cleaning up the kitchen, or doing, I guess, as much cleanup of the kitchen as I could at that point. And I heard, good morning, it's your favorite son, as a couple of other boys came in the door. And this is the norm around here. And so it is a topic that I've kind of had a pin in anyways to get to. My husband and I will ask each other periodically if this is what running a hostel must be like. I often use the word fraternity house to describe it because of things like the boys coming home with early release to play video games or watch movies before heading back for football practice. Oh my gosh. So, okay, the other day it was rainy and dark and cold and they were all sprawled out, snuggled up under blankets with the dogs on the couch. They were watching Fight Club at like two in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Do you know how hard it is to get any work accomplished and not get pulled into Fight Club? I mean, it's a really good movie, especially on a dark Tuesday afternoon. But it's things like that that remind me so much of living with 40 girls at 229 East 15th in college when we'd all like curl up midday on the heated floors of the pine room in the Columbus cold to watch Days of Our Lives. But I have been in enough fraternity houses to know that even with my kitchen exploded all over the house and tools everywhere, we are nowhere near close to looking like an actual fraternity house. So I guess we're probably more of a sorority house full of boys. My daughter, who has gotten used to this chaos, she, when she has her friends over, she tends to stick to a girl or two at a time, and they actually prefer to hang out in her room rather than all throughout the house like the boys do. And they definitely don't make as many trips downstairs for snacks as the boys do. When I talk to other parents, I tend to get one of two types of comments, either, you know, the ones that are like, how do all of those kids around all the time not make you crazy? Are you sure they don't, you don't mind them there? Because I couldn't stand that. Or the other side is just like, so-and-so just loves being at your house so much he would move in if he could you know, or that I wish he even wanted to be here at his own house. I can't even get my own kid to be home. I never see him. Those kinds of comments. Now, personally, before my kids were even teenagers, I had heard all of the stories about high schoolers never wanting to be at home between school and sports and activities and friends. And I just couldn't even manage, I couldn't even manage imagining that. And I knew that I wanted to keep them around as much as possible for as long as I could, which meant intentionally setting up the house and an environment so that we'd be the house that everyone wanted to be at. So while having a house full of other people's teens around and not knowing who's sleeping upstairs sometimes, it isn't for everyone. I totally get that. My tolerance for chaos is definitely a lot higher than average, but I do know for sure that most parents, at least, would like their own teens around more. And like, they'd like them to happily be around more, engaged, like they actually want to be there. 
not just physically present, mopey, and hiding in their room kind of around. No, every parent isn't cut out to be the sorority or fraternity house mom, and every home isn't made to be the peach pit, and that's totally fine, 100%. But I know that none of y'all would be listening to this show if you didn't want to create a home life that your teens actually want to come home to. And I know that you all want to be the kind of parent that they actually talk to. So that's what we're going to have a conversation about today, both creating a home life and a space that your teens want to be in and possibly other people's teens too, if that's your jam and you want to be the house where all the kids hang out. But if nothing else, making your house somewhere that your own teen is happy to be. And then as kind of an offshoot and kind of they do go hand in hand, we'll also include some conversation about being the type of parent that teens talk to. Now, because I think we all realize that creating that harmonious and welcoming home environment plays a crucial role in shaping the lives of teenagers. Because, you know, I know that I hear from so many parents who feel like, yeah, they barely see their teens in passing. Like they some say, you know, they seem to just kind of get in, get out fast as humanly possible. And when they are home, they don't seem happy to be there. But if we can cultivate a home that offers our teens space for their needs and their wants, then we can create an atmosphere that they genuinely want to come home to. And you can also create a space they want to bring their friends to and where their friends want to be. Every time my husband even starts to complain about the constant influx of kids around the house, I remind him, but this is what we wanted, remember? Because it is. We consciously created a physical space that we knew kids would want to be in. So let's go through 10 things that we can do to create a home life and a home space that our teens and even their friends want to be in. And when they're here, they'll even want to talk with you because you've made yourself the type of person who they're comfortable talking to. Okay, number one, strive for creating a harmony in your home. I know sometimes that is, most times, that is significantly easier said and done. But keep in mind, school is stressful. Being a teen is exhausting. Home should be their happy place, their safe haven. If they are being yelled at or criticized or nagged, or if there is constant turmoil, fighting, chaos, or just negativity, it's not going to be that for them. And so they're either not going to even want to be there, or when they're there, they're going to retreat away or be hostile. The more calm and comforting and peaceful their home is, the more they'll actually look forward to coming home to it. Number two, create a sense of belonging. So like make them feel like they belong in the house and in the family. Like you're a unit or a group and they are an important part of that group. Make them a part of the process. Get them involved in decisions I mean, you can't make plans that you want to do when it's convenient for you and then expect them to be happy to participate. So if they're not a Saturday morning person and you make Saturday morning plans, you can't expect them to just bounce out of bed and be excited to go. It just doesn't work that way. Encourage family activities and rituals and traditions, things that promote you being together 
So whether it's just dinners or watching a favorite TV show or something asynchronous like having a fantasy football league for your family or having game nights or weekend outings, going on vacation or to a corn maze or on a hike, the activity does not matter. It's the togetherness that does. If you make time for family bonding, you create an atmosphere that is inclusive and makes them feel valued and makes them feel connected. I know that if they put forth any type of, I don't want to do that, or, you know, that doesn't sound any fun, or I'm tired, or I'd rather do something else, or whatever it is, I know it can be really tempting to be like, well, if you're going to be mopey, or you're going to be pouty, or you're not going to want to be there, then I don't want you ruined and for everybody else. So we're just going to do it without you. Well, what does that do? It makes them feel like they are expendable. So you want to make sure that they feel like they are an important component of this family system. They're needed and they're wanted. But amongst creating family time and family bonding, number three, also be welcoming of others. So be a good hostess for their friends or their girlfriends or their boyfriends Say yes, of course they can come over because it's a lot better to know where your kids are, to give them a safe place to hang out with their friends. It's so much better than just sitting around and wondering and worrying where they are and what they're doing. Make their friends feel welcomed and like they belong. Like actually make them feel valued. Like you're happy to see them. You're happy they're there. They're not in the way. Ask them questions. Listen to them. Respond to them. Have conversations with them, not just a hey as they walk in. Get to know them. And just like you should do with your own kids, when they talk to you, pay attention. Remember things ask questions, follow up the next visit. Now, I'm not saying that you should be their best friend, but talk with them as you would any other guest in your home. And no, you're not Regina George's, I'm a cool mom kind of mom, okay? You're not buying them beer and saying stupid shit like, well, I'd rather have you drink here but you are letting them sprawl out on your couches and you're falling over shoes on the floor and you're washing pool towels after pool towels and restocking the pantry with the things that you notice that they like. And you're not judging their music choices or judging them when they let an F-bomb slip and someone yells, sorry, Miss Brubaker. You're not interrogating them about what they're doing or who they're talking about. And when they do show you a video or a picture or you find yourself somehow in the middle of a conversation about someone who was at a frat party or about the girl who sends everyone unsolicited boob pics, you don't act shocked. You don't judge. You simply listen And yes, impart a little bit of wisdom where you can. You know, the things like, I hope he's being careful. I hope he starts making some better decisions. Or I know he wants to be a D1 athlete and scholarships are pulled for less than that kind of behavior. Or I hope you realize that, you know, pictures, they don't go away. You don't want to be the person or date the person who's everyone has been accosted by their unsolicited nudes, right? So the more conversations you can organically just be a part of and the more relaxed you can be with feedback and with being part of things, the more positive influence you actually can have than if you were lecturing them, whether it's one-on-one with your own kids or with a group. They're not looking to be judged or lectured. But when you pick and choose the important stuff to talk about, they're actually quite receptive to it. 
Now, these friends, these people that they're with, these are people who are important to them, to your children. So yes, they should be important to you as well. Oh yeah, most definitely. And feed them, feed them, feed them meals. Yes. But snacks, lots and lots and lots of snacks. They are like a bunch of Gatorade pounding raccoons scavenging around the pantry. And make sure they're good snacks, like the things 16-year-olds deem good snacks and want to eat, not the things that they should eat, okay? I feed my own kids the things that they should eat as much as humanly possible. This, you want to feed them the things they want to eat. They're often not even the same things that you'd ever even think of. Like if I thought of, oh, what do teenagers want to eat? It's like, oh, things like maybe Doritos, you know, stuff like that. But our biggest hit around here, like snack number one, are gushers. Ew, right? I have bought more gushers in the last number of months, but for whatever reason, those are the favorite. Is it something I would choose? Uh, no. Did I even buy it in the first place? No, I think it was my daughter. She was at Target or something the first time and brought them home. And then, wow, they just flew off the shelves and it just spiraled from there. Is it something that I'd put in my body? Absolutely not. But they're not for me. Oh, and cookies. My Lord, can they eat cookies? Now, I would like to clarify, I do make them a lot of smoothies, though. So hopefully those vitamins and nutrients can help cancel some of the other stuff out. And with girlfriends and boyfriends, let's establish they are teenagers and they're going to have them. It's totally normal. It's a part of growing up. We talked about dating in one of the boundaries episodes. I will go back and I'll relink that in my show notes so that you don't have to dig. The absolute shortest statements on this that I can give you though, my two, yeah, two pieces of advice. One, keep your opinions to yourself because if it's not a good one, it will work itself out without you getting too involved. And if they are a good one, well, then that will definitely become clear to you. And the more accepting you are, the more in the know and actually influential you have the potential to be if you are needed. And two, be kind and welcoming to everyone who they date. Will this be the person they end up with forever? Probably not. But your child will always remember how you treated this person. Could this be the person that they end up with forever? Possibly, right? You never know. And if it is, they will both always remember how you treated them. Trust me, I speak from experience. We'll leave it at that for now. That could be a whole other show, but let's just say that I will welcome every person who my children date with complete open arms. I will always look for the best. I will always compliment them. I will always offer them anything that they ever need. I will make them feel welcome and I will treat them like my own. You know, honestly, good and bad, that I think is probably the kind of summary for this whole point that I'm making of being welcoming. I do treat all of these kids like they are my own. I will make them pick up if they make a mess. I will ask them to carry groceries in or to load waters into the refrigerator. I will tell them to be quiet if it's late and I'm trying to fall asleep. I will offer them unsolicited advice or, yes, possibly even lecture them a bit if I feel like it's necessary. But I will also love on and dote on them like they are my own kids. I'll make them food and set out beds for them. I'll take them places and invite them for holidays. I will even bandage up their toes when they've scraped them up in the pool playing 
school basketball much too aggressively. I mean, I literally have done that. They scratched their toes up all summer and I would give them band-aids. Well, one day, okay, so my t- I think I told you my middle, he had broken his toe and I had to bandage it every day for football practice to keep it safe and keep it secure so he could play. And the one day, one of the boys was bleeding and he asked me for a bandage and it was right in the middle. And I just, I don't know, I was absentmindedly I didn't realize. And all of a sudden, I caught myself that I'm sitting there on the floor. This boy, I'm like, got his foot propped up and I am wrapping his toe for him. He's like 18. And it wasn't even a super injury, but he's just totally sitting there like he's five, just letting me bandage him up. So yeah, I guess I do treat them like my own for good or for bad. Now it's like when they come in, they carry the groceries in that are sitting on the front steps without even me asking them to or anything. So actually, I guess that means they're not like my own because my own children would just and do just climb over any groceries until I ask them like three or four times to carry them in. Okay, so back to our list. So number four, give them some space both literal, physical, oh, and metaphorical, so it's not both. Okay, literal, physical, and metaphoric space. Do you remember back when we talked about two different ways that we communicate? So we communicate through verbals and through nonverbals. Verbals, obviously, the words that we use. Nonverbals, those are all of those other things that we use to communicate our messages. So things like eye contact, touch, gestures, facial expressions, the clothes we wear, body language, those types of things are kind of obvious, I guess. Another nonverbal is the use of proxemics, which is space. We actually can communicate messages through our use of space whether it's something like how close we stand to someone when we speak to them or how we feel about someone based on how much space they are given in a relationship. So like if you sit down to a crowded table and everyone scooches over a whole bunch to give you plenty of room to sit down to, what does that do? It makes you feel really welcome, right? Everyone was willing to scooch over and give you a lot of space. They want you there. But if they move just so slightly that you can barely wiggle yourself in, and then you end up sitting there, shoulders all hunched together, you don't have any room to even lift your arm to take a drink, you feel like you're totally unwanted, like you're crashing their party, you don't it. You don't belong. They don't want you there. That's why they didn't move over, right? They communicated that to you. They have conveyed how much or how little you belong or wanted through their use of space. Now, even if they may say the words, come sit down with us, there's plenty of room. Then they barely shift over. Now, those are two distinct messages that they're sending you, two messages that are in conflict with each other. Their words say yes, but their nonverbal use of space says, nah, we don't want you. Now, if they're sending you those two conflicting messages, which do you believe? The nonverbals, right? We always do. Why do you think that is? It's because verbals are a lot easier to fake, right? We can say whatever words we want. We all know and we all believe the real emotions that come out through the nonverbals. Inflection in your voice, lack of making eye contact. We believe the nonverbals. It's actually, it's called technically, which is weird, but it's actually called emotional leakage, which I think is super gross, right? I mean, I don't know why that's the term for it. It's really kind of, it's it's really icky to me when I hear that. But yeah, it's like your real emotions are seeping out, which is even grosser when I say it that way, but that it is a thing. Like if you have nonverbals and verbals that are 
are in conflict, you're always going to believe the verbals because we know we can lie in the verbals or fake the verbals. We can say anything, but it's a lot harder to camouflage those nonverbals because we often don't realize that we're even sending them. We can start, let's start with physical space. You may be telling your kids, this is your house too. You belong here. But if they don't have control of any of the space in the house, they're not going to feel like they belong. Respecting our teenagers' need for personal space, it's huge in creating a home environment that they want to be in. So make their bedroom comfortable and hangout friendly. If you can't spare the space, I mean, my boys, they even still share a bedroom, but they have each their own clear side of the bedroom. And then they've kind of organically claimed other areas of the house as being theirs. So if you can give them more space than that, do it. A game room or a media room. I call ours the arcade. Of course, it started off as being the playroom, but then everyone got way too grown up for a playroom. Although I still accidentally asked the Alexa to call up to the playroom oftentimes. But regardless, they need somewhere to do their thing. Even if their thing is just existing, maybe it is a gaming room or a music room or a weight room. We gave the boys half of the garage as their weight room. And even though my middle is actually more into lifting than my oldest, he's not the one who really kind of claims the space as his own. My oldest, he loves to sit out on the weight bench with his laptop or talk on FaceTime out there. It's just kind of his space. My middle, on the other hand, he goes out, he lifts, and then he has his gaming room upstairs in the arcade, which is kind of more his space. Or maybe it's just a study corner, okay? I mean, I am adult. I technically have the whole house that I should or could be able to claim as mine. I do have an office. I don't love my office because it's kind of in the middle of everything, and I just can't be productive in there. But I do also have a tiny little literal nook okay, up in the arcade that I have claimed as mine, and I have named it my broadcasting nook. It's where I record, yes, but honestly, I kind of just love sitting here. It's got like a bunch of cushions and pillows and a window, and I like being here. I'm super productive here. It's my space. Now, it's like my three by three, maybe max. It's probably more like two by four. It's not even a square, but it's mine. And so, of course, they're going to feel the same. They need somewhere they can do the things that they love or refresh or maybe even just hide from us. I will admit I hide from my family in my little nook every once in a while. Teens so often want to be alone just to think, right? Because there is so much for them to think about and to figure out. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they need a space to distract themselves with something that they enjoy so that they're not thinking. Give them somewhere to do that and give them autonomy over that personal space. Let them make it what they want it to be, whether it's with what's inside of it or how it's decorated. Like the gushers, would I choose pink walls covered in nails that no longer serve a purpose and because she changes things and moves things all the time and Drake and SZA posters and fairy lights. Um, No, I would not. Would I, if I was 15? Yeah, quite possibly. Now, did I prefer the lovely pottery barn desk that she had in her bedroom before her birthday or the new kind of cheapy looking light up like you could land airplanes vanity that she replaced it with with her own money 
Well, I have a preference, but it's her room. It's her space. Let them have that. Let them make it a place that they are comfortable and they want to be and a place that they want to bring their friends. And if those friends happen to be a girlfriend or a boyfriend, wow, this is one that I hear all the time from moms. Their teen's space is their bedroom. Okay. So, I mean, if they have like another hangout space, like the arcade or like a game room or like whatever, it's, you know, obviously doesn't seem to be as big of an issue. But if their only space is their bedroom, okay, they oftentimes, the teens want to be in that space in their bedroom with a date. Obviously, this is age dependent. But teens do need some kind of space to be alone, all right? You get to an age and they don't need a chaperone at every second. They need a space to hang out with people and with their friends, but yes, with girlfriends or boyfriends. I mean, they have to get to know each other. They can't be comfortable with each other or really get to know each other without some degree of privacy, some degree, not like total privacy if you're not comfortable with that, but some degree of privacy. Now, in an ideal world, they have that. Okay, like the playroom or whatever. But if their room is the only place that they have, they really should be able to have others in it to hang out. I've never really understood the, ooh, you can't be in there with a boy because there's a bed in that room. But here you can be in this room that has a couch. And I just can't wrap my head around the difference between those things. Now, regardless, obviously, mine don't really hang out in a bedroom with them because we have, thankfully, you know, the other spaces. But even in the other spaces, the doors are always open. And everyone knows that I pop in to chat or there are other people around who in and but they do need their own space. Now, if you've created a relationship of communication and openness and trust, like all of these foundational years leading up to this point, you can create an overall environment and an overall relationship and respect that means that they can be in any room because you've created that trust. Now, inside of that physical space that you've created or you are going to create for them, you do need to give them things that they enjoy doing. Maybe it's a TV or video games or games. You know, we have air hockey and skee-ball and foosball. Maybe it's a basketball hoop outside or a trampoline or a pool. Or it's art supplies or soccer balls or volleyballs, whatever. Yeah, they're still going to be on their phones at times. It's 2023. It's what kids do. It's what adults do, for heaven's sake. But the more things that you give them as options to do, the less time that they're going to be bored and be on their phones. And let them use it alone. Of course, always do the pop-in just to keep an eye on things and just kind of let them know that you're there if you need anything. But they don't want to feel like they're being watched. Now, for us, it's more of a common area like the kitchen or living room or pool. They know that we're around, I'm around, and they can kind of deal with that. I decided early on that this is my house and I'm totally fine with anyone being in it. But I'm also not going to change my life or my day or my routine just because other people are here. Like, for example, last summer, like not this past one, but the one before, we would clear out of the pool or the yard if someone had friends over. And I realized that I was totally resenting them being here. My life was being negatively impacted just so that they could have fun. 
But then if I said no to it, I would feel guilty. And yes, I know gratitude over guilt, blah, blah, blah. Guilt is a useless emotion. I get it. Jen is Zen. Yeah. Okay. But I would totally feel guilty and not enjoy it because I knew that I would miss them being around someday. And I kept kids from using the pool just so I could sit outside in the sun or work in the garden and all of the things like that. So the next time I'd let them come over and use it, I'd hide inside and I'd be resentful. It was stupid. Totally. I know. So I decided that it's all of our houses. And just like the kids would totally be around when I have a friend visit, which is possibly why the kids feel close to my friends, okay? But if it was like a public pool, we'd all be using it. So sorry, yeah. I live here and it's my summer too, all right? So I relaxed around them and they relaxed around me, okay? My husband did, my daughter did, okay? We all did. Common space, they know I'm gonna be around, but I'm also not going into their space, like the arcade, or I'm not sitting hanging out by the basketball hoop or in the weight room or in their bedroom, like I'm watching them. So we've kind of informally established boundaries of privacy and relatedly respect their privacy because respecting a teen's privacy is a crucial aspect of building trust and maintaining open lines of communication. While it is clearly important to be involved in their lives, it is equally important to establish boundaries that do respect their need for personal space. Avoid invading their privacy by like reading their diaries or checking their messages or constantly monitoring their online activity unless there are valid concerns for their safety and well-being. You will make yourself crazy. You will 100% see things that you wish you hadn't. And for what? Unless it's a safety concern or they're making terrible life choices that you somehow see no signs of otherwise, all it does is build a wall between you. Which, if you remember right from way back, this is my big reason for letting younger kids, so those of y'all with younger kids, that's my big argument for letting kids have phones and have social media early. Because when they get it, when they're young, like preteens, kind of when they're like 10 or whatever, you're, you can really easily look over their shoulder and monitor everything that they're doing. And you can teach them as they're 10, 11, 12, you can teach them how to use these things properly. What is appropriate behavior, okay? Like not sending unsolicited boob pics to people, okay? Or any boob pics to people. But that is the type of thing. That's my argument for why start them early so that you can do that and slowly just kind of give them the reins to have that privacy unless you see some red flag for concern, okay? It makes you crazy, Otherwise, if you're trying to go through things, respecting their privacy builds a trust and demonstrates our faith in their ability to make those responsible decisions. By this point, you should have and will have established a foundation with them. And unless they show you otherwise, you do kind of need to start trusting them. Now, if they show you otherwise, of course, that's an entirely different story, but that's if the signs are coming from their behavior. Trust forms the foundation of a healthy parent-teen relationship. If you want to be the kind of parent that teens talk to, it is absolutely essential to build that trust by being reliable and consistent honesty, keeping your promises, maintaining confidentiality when it's appropriate are huge aspects of building that trust. If they don't want you to tell something, don't tell it. If we demonstrate our trustworthiness, we can create an environment where they feel safe to share their thoughts, their worries, their hopes, their dreams, their experiences, 
experiences with you, which that's what we want, right? Now, on the metaphoric space, when they walk in the door, do you start interrogating them? Like when they get in the car after the game, do you want to rehash the whole thing with them? Do you give them their space to just decompress, to breathe, to regroup? Because they need it. If something is bothering them, maybe they don't want to talk about it. Maybe they're not even sure what's wrong. I know that we are often very well-meaning, and I know that I'm speaking, I'm speaking to myself right now because I know that unless I consciously remind myself of this, this is definitely one that I struggle with. I'm a talker. Shocking. I know, right? I want to hash everything out. I've been working at home alone all day. I want to hear about theirs. I want to rehash the game. I will ask what's wrong at least a thousand times before I get the picture that she doesn't want to talk right now. But if we can give them the space that they do need to process things, they will be much more likely to come around when they are recharged. Number five, support them. Support who they are. Support what they enjoy. Support their interests, their activities, their academic pursuits. Support for what they are not for what you wish they were or you thought that they would be or in comparison to who others are. Support them. Encourage them to be well-rounded people. Encourage them to be kind people. Everything else is second to that. Maybe they quit sports for the theater and you wanted an athlete. Maybe you expected a cheerleader and you got a lacrosse playbook. Maybe STEM isn't their strength and you envisioned a doctor. Maybe they don't want to go to your alma mater or sororities aren't their thing. Maybe you are valedictorian and their C's get degrees all the way. Maybe they don't share your religious views or your political beliefs. Maybe they identify sexually in a way that you don't even understand. Support them. Support them regardless. Support who they are, not what you expected them to be. Part of this is also kind of really number six. Emphasize the importance of emotional well-being. Prioritize mental health and emotional well-being. Prioritize having a work-life balance. And yes, this is also in what we model for them. Prioritize your own mental health and well-being. Prioritize your work-life balance. And by proxy, teach them how to prioritize theirs. Teach them that it's okay to feel things. It's okay to express things. Encourage open discussions about emotions, stress, self-care. Create a safe space where they can express their feelings and seek support when they need it and when they want it. Teach them about meditation and relaxation and journaling and manifestation and all of the woo-woo things that we talk about here. Show them how to foster emotional resistance. Number seven, pick your battles. If you want your teens to want to be around and to be happy when they're around and to actually talk to you, well, you're going to need to pick your battles. Would you like a perfect home where clothes and towels are all picked up and bedrooms are free of food debris and dishes and bathroom sinks are visible? I'm going to assume that the answer is yes. If you have teenagers, I'm going to say that most likely the only way that this is possible is if you nag and yell and harp and punish. 
neatness and cleanliness are typically just not priorities for teenagers. If you happen to have one who it is a priority for, good Lord, enjoy it because you are truly blessed because that is not the norm. If you are constantly nagging and harping and yelling and punishing over cleaning rooms and sinks and bathrooms, they are going to hate being at home because you are constantly on them about doing work that they just don't see as important or as a priority. They just want to relax. They want to enjoy their time at home. They don't care if their room is a mess, but you do. But you also want them to want to be happy and want to be at home. What's it going to be? How important is it to you if their lacrosse stick has been in the foyer for three days? <laughs> Was that one just me? I don't know. You need to pick your battles, okay? What they wear, you need to pick their battles or your battles, not their battles. How their hair is styled, pick your battles, all right? Maybe having their hair dyed pink You got to pick that battle over having a tattoo. Permanent versus the pink washes out, okay? But you need to pick your battles, whatever it is. Again, just like the privacy, if you go to war over everything, you're going to make yourself crazy. Part of this is recognizing them as the semi-adults that they are. No, they're not adults. I'm not saying they're your peers. But... They're also not little kids anymore. And they're your children, just grown up more children, but they're not your subordinates. I know I say it often, but I really do see them as being semi adults. And it makes it a lot easier to communicate with them when I see them that way. Yes, they do things that bug me. They often say things that make me cringe or I would have reprimanded them as children for saying, or yes, that sometimes even shock me. But that's when you think, yes, I would correct this if they were a child, but they're not. So you just let it ride like you would do if you were talking to an adult. I know that my daughter, she likes to slip swear words into conversations. And now that she's a grown-up high schooler, it's a new thing. I'm not a super fan of it for sure, but I also am that firm believer in picking my battles. And for right now, I'm happy when she's talking to me. I'm happy when she's interacting with us and she's happy. And if that means a little bit of language here and there, then so be it. Because as I see it, what's my choice? Okay, she says something and I reprimand her when she does it. Well, then what happens? Well, she gets mad or she pouts or she just clams up. What does that get me? It doesn't get me the open communication relationship I want. I know that for sure. Do I love it when she uses language like that in a conversation? Nope. Do I love her talking to me openly? Yes. But I pick my battles. Now, the semi of semi-adult does mean that there are limits to that, of course. And I definitely point those limits out when she hits them or when they hit any of my limits because some things, no, they are still not appropriate. But this threshold is definitely different than it used to be. So messy rooms, I can deal with that. It's their room. I don't want someone coming in and criticizing when I haven't put something away yet or when I haven't done a job yet. Like, good Lord, I would not want someone coming in and criticizing that stuff is all over the house still from this kitchen that I could have put back together, I guess, some of it last night, and I didn't. One of my cabinets is now glass, and you can see what's in it, and or my shelves are now open, and you can see them. If someone came in and criticized how messy that cabinet was and told me that I had to fix it before I went anywhere, I certainly wouldn't respond to that very well. So yeah, I get it. They don't want to be criticized about that. But if it's something on the other hand, like if it's schoolwork or a grade issue, yeah, to me, something like that is where the semi comes in. 
I've given a lot, but they know what I do expect out of them is hard work where they need it. And school is one of those places. So you start missing work or getting low grades, or I hear anything negative at all. I will pick that battle any day of the week. Okay. Kind of like kindness or just overall respect, those kinds of things. All right. Those are my particular limits. And that's where the I'm the actual full adult then comes into play. Number eight, don't take it personally. If they're angry or annoyed or short with you, don't take it personally. If you've done all of these things right, you just may have set up a home life that makes them feel so safe and so comfortable that they end up taking things out on you because they know that they are safe and they are comfortable with you. Be careful what you wish for, right? But we all do that. We all take things out on the people that we are closest with. So don't take things personally. If they are short with you on the phone, don't take it personally. Why are they being short with you? Think about it. Who are they with maybe? Are they just trying to establish themselves in that environment? If they want to be with their friends or on on their phones, don't take it personally. Again, they're trying to learn how to navigate and to balance relationships. Are they being mean to you or did they snap at you or did they say something in anger? Don't take it personally. Remember back in the I just can't episode, right? About teens and drama. Their brains are not fully developed yet and they often struggle to control their impulses because of it. Yours is fully developed. You can control your impulses. Be the grown up. Yes. Tell them what they did wrong and that they cannot talk to you like that or tell them that they hurt you. Of course, rationally and calmly, you can tell them those things, especially once they've calmed down a bit. But don't take it personally. It's all hard. I get it. But most of these things, they are truly not about you at all. And number nine, be the parent that they need. We talked about this in a Gen is Zen last year. Be the person you want. I'll relink that in the show notes. In that episode, we asked, how would your relationship improve if we applied empathy, thought how others would want me to behave or to respond? And then what if we actually did that? If we gave that person that behavior to them, if we saw a situation and decided to be the person we would want around us if we were in that position, we said that our relationships would take on an entirely different level. If we took that golden rule, treat others the way that you would want to be treated. If we took that and we thought, if I was my child, or realistically, remember we talked about those ancestral wounds? If I was my child, when I was my child, when I was that teenager, what did I need or want from my parent? And then what if we were that person to them? Be supportive and empathetic during these times. Offer them encouragement and understanding and guidance without imposing solutions or dismissing their concerns. If we can be a source of support for them, we can create an environment where they feel comfortable seeking our advice and openly sharing their experiences and their thoughts. Be their constant. Their study in the stormy chaos that can be their lives. Give them love and support and guidance. Give them a shoulder to cry on when they need it and an ear to actually listen to them when they talk. Oh, and actually care about what it is they are telling you. 
even if it is something silly or trivial, because it's obviously neither silly nor trivial to them. Don't be judgmental and always be their biggest cheerleader no matter what. Above all things, always let them know that they are loved and respected. Let yourself have fun with them. You can be silly and fun. You don't always need to be so serious. When something happens, think about how you would like to be treated or responded to. Do you respond well to, I told you this would happen? I know I don't. Do you like when someone tells you that you're overreacting, you're being emotional? I know that that is a hard no for me. So why would they like it or respond well to it? And being the parent that they need, well, that includes my very favorite point here, number 10, of course, the point that you're all probably, if you've been here for a minute, expecting from me. Communication. Duh, of course we couldn't make it through this list without communication. I know that I am clearly partial to it, but honestly, I don't think you need to have devoted your entire adult life to the study of communication to realize that if you want to have a home space and a home life that your teenagers want to be in, let alone one that their friends want to be in, And on top of that, if you want to be the type of parent who teenagers want to talk to and feel comfortable talking to without thinking that you're completely unrelatable because you're from, you know, the 1900s, well, it all really boils down to number 10. You must have open communication with them. I mean, some of these things we've even woven into the other points, but I cannot emphasize it or say it often enough because open lines of communication with our teenagers is essential. Establish an atmosphere of trust by actively listening to their concerns, their opinions, and their experiences. Engage in meaningful conversations. Ask open-ended questions and offer guidance without judgment by allowing themselves to express, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, by allowing them to express themselves. Wow, I really got excited with that one. See, communication, it just makes me so excited. All right, but by allowing them to express themselves freely, that's what I'm trying to say. You create an environment where they feel understood and they feel supported. So this includes all of the things calm related that we've covered. Talk with them. Don't talk to them. Don't lecture or nag unless you absolutely need to. Ask them their thoughts on things. Ask them for their opinions. Practice that active listening. Remember, we talked about this and it's not about the socks. Active listening is a super powerful tool for effective communication with teenagers. When they do talk to us, it is crucial to give them our undivided attention, maintain eye contact, show a genuine interest in the things that they have to say, those nonverbals, right? If we actively listen, we validate their feelings. We demonstrate that empathy that we have said we needed, and then we encourage them to open up even further. So don't interrupt them or don't dismiss their thoughts because those are surefire ways to discourage them from sharing with you in the future. And don't judge them. Teens often hesitate to confide in their parents because they fear being judged or criticized. To create an environment where they feel comfortable talking openly to you, it is super important to have that non-judgmental approach. Acknowledge their perspectives, even if they differ from your own, and avoid jumping to conclusions or imposing your beliefs onto them. If we can foster this non-judgmental communication, 
you know what? You're going to encourage them to express themselves honestly and without fear of negative repercussions. In your head, you are totally free to cringe away. When you are alone or with your partner or a friend, you can feel free to let that shock show. But when they are talking to you, do not judge. So, yep, that's it. 10 tips if you want to make your teens actually want to be at home and their friends want to be at your house and to help you be the type of parent who they are actually comfortable and willing to talk to. Simple as that. Easy breezy, right? (laughs) I joke, of course. Yes, these points are simple, but easy? Um, no. But nothing is easy about raising teenagers, so we're used to that, right? And ultimately, it's totally worth it because creating that home environment that they want to return to, whether they're our teens or the friends that they bring with them, but creating an environment like that involves building a space where they feel secure and supported and understood. And if we can foster all of these things, that sense of belonging and open communication, that personal space and privacy, if we can support them and in their emotional well-being, all of those things, we can shape this environment, the physical and the emotional environment that nourishes their growth and their happiness. Because we all know it's worth it in the long run. A welcoming home has a profound impact on our teenagers' overall well-being, over their future success, and our long-term relationship with them. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I am sorry for my tardiness on getting this episode out to you, but I think it was worth it, right? Super good conversation. And it was a lot of content. See, it was almost like a twofer, right? Maybe I should have just broken it down into that twofer kind of thing. But I am so appreciative for you bearing with me and sticking it out and coming back for this slightly delayed episode. Reach out to me on socials, on Instagram and TikTok. I'm at Reframing Me. And on Facebook, it's Reframing Me and join the Facebook group Reframing Me, the podcast community to connect with other women who are also raising teens and rediscovering themselves. Until next time, be well and communicate. 